Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. The FT. Welcome back to the FT's Banking Weekly, your Monday take on the top issues in the world of banking in downloadable form with me, Megan Murphy. Today, why Lloyd's plans to sell a portfolio of branches has only attracted lackluster interest from the private sector. And with grim third quarter results from U.S. banks and more of the same expected when the European bank earnings season kicks off this week, a number of banks are searching for a new strategy. And finally, Europe's big banks could be forced to find 108 billion euros of fresh capital over the next six to nine months under a deal to strengthen the banking system. But is this really the end of the process? All this and more on this week's show. Joining me today are retail banking correspondent Charlene Goff. Charlene, first let's look at Lloyd's. Um, they've been forcing to sell about 630 branches under EU rules on state bailouts. Um, Lloyd's sort of newish CEO, Antonio Horta Osorio, was hoping to secure at least £2 billion for the branches. But so far, the only offer on the table is much less than that from newcomer MBNK. What's going on with this? Are there any other bids likely? Are they going to have to float it? What's, what's the state of play here? Well, it's very much in in a state of flux, I think, and this will be a big disappointment for Lloyd's and and Antonio Tosorio, the new chief executive. When he came into the bank in March, he made it a very firm priority to speed up the sale, to get rid of these branches. Um, He didn't want it hanging over the bank for too long, and he has said repeatedly, publicly, that he wanted a buyer in place by the end of this year. Now, they, he was quite excited, you know, going back into the spring when things were looking a bit more positive, the, the economy was looking like it could recover a little bit. You know, the UK retail banking market was looking like a fairly good option and he hoped to attract interest from overseas buyers, even as far away as China, Europe, you know. Um, these buyers just failed to materialise and, you know, eight months into this process, they've had one bid on the table from MBNK, you know, a new banking venture with 50 million um, to its name so far you know that's the only bid so Lloyd's are getting pretty worried about you know how they're going to achieve a decent price for these assets ahead of the EU deadline and they're being forced to sort of consider backup options and those backup options are well, they're the the key one, and and to be fair, you know they've always said it will be a dual track process of uh, preparing for a flotation, separating the business off themselves, and listing it independently on the stock market. But that option looks like definitely within the Lloyd's camp, like it's gaining a bit of traction. Although bankers and analysts are telling me that that wouldn't be a particularly easy feat. I mean, trying to float a business, you know, even if they don't have to do it till 2012, even the first half of 2013, when hopefully markets should have recovered. You know, this is a very expensive, very complex. You know, there's absolutely no guarantee that private investors would support a float when they won't support or when, you know, it's been rebuffed by a private buyer. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like an easy 
option. You know, if for- they floated it, what would happen to the management structure, ownership structure of it? How would that work in terms of the back office systems, which has always also been a big sticking point in this deal? Yeah, well, this is the big thing with it. I mean, Lloyd's would have to carve out a completely standalone business with its own technology, its own capital, its own management team, you know, whether they would they would transfer a lot of the existing people working at those branches and leading them but no doubt they'd have to bring in their own board you know they'd have it's hugely complicated issues here so definitely the most straightforward plan for them would be to go to a private buyer but you know they're really disappointed by the figure on the table so far now they are holding out for a, a rival bid from the cooperative group which would be their preferred option at this stage and to some degree I think you know so the speculation that we saw over the weekend that you know a float was a near certainty you know I don't think that's true that you know that we've gone that far I think you know people are trying to gen up interest from private buyers and hope that um, others will enter the auction now, the co-op may well do that over the next couple of weeks it's, it's it's still understood to be quite keen to pick up these branches it would be a huge purchase for co-op it would triple the size of its existing banking on but there just seems to be well they're, they're, they're dragging their feet they don't seem to be too keen. Otherwise, you know, you would imagine that they would have come forward with a bid sooner. Um, but maybe that will materialise and at least give Lloyd something to sort of create a bit of a um, auction for there. Final point: Is there any chance of a third party surprise, wild share, wild card, foreign bidder um, looking to you know sort of get a foothold in in the market? I don't think so at this stage. I mean, every European US bank I've spoken to, while they may have looked at the branches at a very early stage, quickly concluded that they just didn't want to be involved. Um, you know, we've seen Virgin Money for pull out of the auction. We've seen, you know, other private equity firms look and decide not to press ahead. So aside from a real bolt from the blue, I think that's that's the way the ground lies. OK, well, thanks for that. Well, let's turn on to the second somewhat depressing lay of the land of the day, which is obviously um, the investment banking results we saw last week and the investment banking results of Europe, Europe's leading investment banks, which are due to start reporting tomorrow with UBS, which is plagued by its own separate troubles in the form of a $2.3 billion um, rogue trading scandal, and Deutsche Bank, which will also be, I think, a, a very mixed bag. So, Charlene, uh, we don't have the UK banks for a, few, uh, um, a couple more weeks, but in terms of the investment banks, in terms of Barclays Capital... Obviously, we'll be looking for a lot of the same trends at RBS and at Barclays Capital UK's and HSBC to some extent in terms of lower subdued volumes, really hurting business and lack of deal making. Yeah, I think it's been another very tough quarter, as you've been writing in in the FT this week. And, you know, the read across from the US banks last week does not provide a very positive kind of Mm. um, conditions going into this. I mean, Goldman, for example, you know, reported only their, their second loss um in their history as a public company i mean that you followed that last week i mean that that was a real shocker wasn't it yeah i think the problem that we face right now is that the industry seems to have run out of answers a little bit and is searching for something whether that's through massive deleveraging and getting rid of assets whether that's cost cuts i think the most interesting thing um is the sort of when i talk to people now it seems like the realization has finally hit that um, you know, where we had this sort of false dawn in 2009 for investment banking, where a wave of capital raising in the debt markets across corporate um, America, corporate Europe, as people sought to rebuild from the crisis, that is well and truly over, um, at least for now. And that created sort of this artificial high for, uh, you know, an industry that was much more severely damaged, I think, that, 
than people realize. And then on the second level, we had, you know, very stringent regulation in terms of capital, liquidity, and in the states, you know, vocal, the vocal rule, which has really clamped down on certain types of very profitable businesses. So I think the realization is there that banks need to have a fundamental overhaul. Investment banks need to have a fundamental overhaul of their strategy. But I think that what we're not seeing yet is sort of some of the more radical changes that people would want, particularly, obviously, in the form of pay. You know, investment banks still pay about 45 to 65 percent of their revenues in the form of of bonuses and pay to staff. And I think we're just going to see huge pressure, again, still going on on people to bring down costs, whether that's pay, which is the obvious target, whether that's non-pay expenses, which is also an obvious target, or whether that's just simply shedding people. Well, I think it's fascinating as well. Like you and I, when we you know, joined the FT banking team going back more than two years now, I mean, the, the issue that really um, took up a lot of our time those first six months was bonuses and this huge outrage against bonuses. And yet, two years later, we're still in the same position. The piece again that you, you did last week, the the report from the IIF, you know, and I'm sure our, our listeners, if they missed the story, would be fascinated to hear what that showed. It was that, you know, banks were still paying a huge proportion of these guaranteed bonuses that essentially reward people, you know, no matter how they perform over that year. And these were supposed to be ruled out. You know, yeah. banks are not supposed to be doing this, yet they still are. You know, it's... how are they getting away with it? It is a little bit troubling, that report, which did show a significant increase in the proportion of single-year bonuses being awarded, which aren't technically outlawed but are supposed to be used only in exceptional circumstances, was was pretty, um, you know, from people I spoke to or regulators, I think was eye-opening just in terms of how as much as you go to try and put in reforms to the system, the banks will find a way to continue to pay people that they think are going to bring in revenues. And look, I can have that argument with a banker until the day comes home about whether that's the right system or whether it's not the right system. But what we, what the industry, I think, will feel is much more pressure, although we've said this time and time again, from investors to bring its costs down. Um, because simply, not so much now because of this super ethical issue of should people be getting paid 50 million or 20 million or 10 million, but more because the return on equity has just gotten so low. So it was fine, as investors always say to me, Megan, it was fine when we were getting 15%, 20% ROE. <laughs> Goldman had 3.7% ROE this yeah. quarter. The average across the US banking sector is projected to be 5.5% by UBS analysts this, this year. So um, I think that 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 dynamic is going to shift, and maybe we will see some movement. You know, we don't want to keep harping on pay. It's just it's such a huge cost center. We will now move on to our final topic of the day, which uh, has basically been the dominant topic for the past, oh, I don't know, four or five months now, it feels like, uh, which is the sovereign, sovereign crisis in the Eurozone. Now, it looks like we've come forward to some sort of agreement about the absolute number of the recap that it's going to look like we're going to see. And that looks like it's settled around about 108 billion euros across Europe's banks. Um, None of the UK banks, uh, as we understand it now, which has been heavily trailed out of Brussels all weekend, this 108 billion has been come up with by basically uh, rerunning, although they sort of don't like to say that, but sort of re analyzing the stress tests that were done in July. And then, but instead of um, doing what's called macroeconomic stresses, in other words, making the bank simulate as if there was a spike in interest rates or, you know, 20% unemployment, they took away all the macroeconomic stresses and they put in um, 
a minimum 9% core tier one capital um, for the bank. So they ha- how much capital they would need to get to 9% without those macroeconomic stresses, but putting in for the first time, realistically, um, haircuts on their sovereign debt portfolios across the um, southern eurozone, so Greece, Italy, Portugal, Spain, et cetera. So we've come up with $108 billion from that exercise. Um, Charlene, are, are we at the end of the story there? Uh, you know, this has been long and drawn out. I mean, as I as we were just saying upstairs, are we going to see banks out doing rights issues <laughs> over the next few well, weeks? Well, I think it's going to be tough. So we've got the number, $108 billion. Now, that's slightly higher than, you know, we were picking up last week, but still way below the 200 to 275 billion euros that some analysts had feared banks would have to to raise. So, you know, in that degree, it's good to get that certainty. And I think everyone, you know, will be pleased. Now, obviously, attention will move to a exactly who has got to raise and, and how much and how on earth they're going to do it in this kind of climate. Now, we've said, we've written a lot and we've talked a lot in recent weeks about how banks are more likely to, to deleverage, to cut back assets, to try and, you know, shrink their balance sheets rather than try and raise new funds. And I think that will be the way they go just because it's going to be so difficult in this market to, you know, get a rights issue away or to attract new investors. Um, so I think we'll see, uh, you know, banks try and, and accelerate that. But, you know, as we've we've said and, you know, people constantly tell us you've got all these banks trying to essentially flog, you know, very similar assets. You know, there's how easy is that going to be realistically? Who are the buyers? I mean, who is buying this stuff? You know, so I think it's yeah. going to be a real challenge over the next sort of six to nine months for banks to hit these figures. Yeah, shrinking, shrinking, uh, shrinking your way in as the French banks have been the biggest proponents of um, is one option. I, as, I, as you said, it's difficult to see how they're going to get there that quickly. The other option, I think, is sovereign wealth, yeah. which I do think that we will see some immense efforts made to tap into whether that's Qatar, whether mm-hmm. that's Singapore, whether that's investors out there that do have the appetite for what they see as very low-valued bank um, stocks, you know, with I think the average in Europe now is 0.6 times uh, tangible book value is about the average across um, big European banks for what they're trading at. So there's no question that for someone who's got a really strong stomach, there's some, you know, there's some potential bargains out there. So that's one the other option. Um, and then we'll see what the framework comes out in terms of national and, you know, possible national injection, possible national funds, possible, you know, leveraging the EFSF, which we still don't have the full detail. And I think I think looking back now, and I think sometimes it is hard for us, even, you know, people, you know, as long as we've been doing this to sort of step back. But what really strikes me, and I think a lot of observers, is how foolish banks were to not go out and be more proactive about raising capital in 09 specifically yeah. and in early 10 when we saw a few people go out. Again, when we saw the Italian banks go out and do some offerings, that um, they got them away successfully. Mm-hmm. And I definitely think that um, – I think many analysts think that many um, participants in the sector just waited far yeah. too long. Missed and now, chance. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, that's all we have for today. It's been a fascinating discussion with Charlene. Remember, you can keep up to date with all these stories on www.ft.com slash banking. But now all that remains is to thank today's guest, Charlene, and thank you for listening, and see you next week. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. 
Corian provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's Corient.com.